We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter. New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host, Nick Pilato. Today, we're here to break down the Giants offensive line as we head into training camp. There's a lot of excitement around this offensive line. I think some of it warranted, some of it maybe not so warranted. We're going to get to all of that. Break down individual players, the line as a whole, position battles that could emerge, where we think things could go right, where we think things may go wrong, what ultimately it means for year one for Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, what it means for year four of Daniel Jones, you know, inheriting a line that has a lot more talent than it's ever had in his career with the Giants so far. Before we do that, let's catch up a little bit. It's been a long time. This might have been our longest break since last pod. I took a full week vacation, tuned out completely from work, which was nice. Um, got to do Vegas. At the end of Vegas, though, actually on my flight home, waiting for the same flight or waiting for a flight that was right next to my flight that was delayed going to LaGuardia was Jason Garrett, Giants offensive coordinator, Nick, or former Giants offensive coordinator. He was working on something in his notepad, so I didn't say anything to him, Nick. I got to be honest with you. I tweeted out, what should I say to him? I was joking around mostly. I'm not the type of guy that goes up to like a guy like that and like blasts him. or like If there was, if the, I was going to talk to him, I was literally going to be like, I want to hear your side of the story. Like I literally want to hear. I know from your, his perspective, it wasn't just, my system sucks. I call crappy plays. It's all on me. It's a little bit on the line, but it's all on me. Like, I'm sure he has a little bit of a different opinion of what went down in those two years. And I would have loved to get that. But at the same time, and I had, a, I had, a, I had an idea for how I was going to approach it. Nick I was going to be like, look, I'm trying to learn the game. Here's some talking points, blah, blah, blah. Talk a little pre to post snap. Talk a little bit about Jones and things of that nature. But ultimately, I decided not to bother him, Nick, because he was working on something at the time. He was writing in his notepad. He was on his computer. And I feel like I was just going to get a political answer from him anyway if it was if it came to Jones or anything related to the Giants. So I, I passed, but it was interesting to see him. There was no way Jason Garrett was going to like dive in depth with somebody who just approached him 
at the airport. But that would have been awesome, dude, because there's two sides to every single story. And I'm sure Jason Garrett's side is a lot different than public perception, whether that's accurate or not. That can be left to determination. But did you enjoy your trip, Dan? Yeah, great trip out there. Uh, crazy ending, though. I've never done this before. I took a red eye. So that was last night. I, <laughs> I'm on zero hours of sleep. I've never, this was, so I tried sleeping on the plane. I'm just, I used to be a decent plane sleeper, but now I'm just bad at all sleep and plane included. And I just like maybe got like a half hour to an hour sleep on the plane if I'm lucky. So just a weird day because I went, I rolled basically right into work. By the time I got home from the Uber from the red eye, I had to work. So I've just been, so it's been like a weird no sleep day. I've never done one of these. I don't know if I'll do a red eye again. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I'm a big red eye guy. Every time I go home, I take a red eye. And well, it just, it kind of screws your entire first day at home up. But it's just con- more convenient, in my opinion. I think the fly back from west to east is going to be insufferable no matter what. So I might as well do it at that time and then get back, you know, leave 11 o'clock at night, get back at 6 in the morning or whatever, and then just take it from there. I could take like a four-hour cat nap and be completely fine. But Dan, I wanted to bring something up about my older brother, Steve. So Steve almost got attacked by a bear while listening to the Big Blue Banter podcast. What? Oh, yeah. So my older brother lives in a wooded area in northwest New Jersey, and he was walking his dog through the woods. He saw one of his neighbors. He waved to him. And then the next thing he knew, as he's listening to our two dumb voices, he sees his neighbor running back in the other direction and saying something. So he obviously shut up our two dumb voices and said, what the heck? And then he saw this bear just kind of walking casually towards him. And Max, my older brother's German shepherd, just started barking at the bear like crazy and sticking up for my brother. And my brother was like, holy crap, you know, trying to hold Max back. Max was like, get the heck away from my owner. And the bear just took off in the woods. And I was like, Steve, Max is such a stud. But if you died, you would have died listening to the Big Blue Banter podcast, which would have been insane. <laughs> that is insane. First of all, I didn't even know he listened to the show. So that part is cool to hear. I thought he was not, uh, you know, as into listening to us. But I'm glad to hear it, Steve. Thank you so much for giving us that kind of support. And I will say this. I've learned some things about bears over the years through hiking. Was it a black or brown bear? Do you know? I, I don't really even need to know the answer to that question. I know it was a black bear. If it was a brown bear, that story might have ended a little bit differently. Yeah. Are there brown bears up in that part of no, Jersey? there aren't brown bears. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think so. It was 100% going to be a black bear. Though it is weird to even see any bear. Uh, but black bears in general are, are you know, people are, have the, a misconception of bears. There really is a difference between a black and a brown bear. You don't really have to be too scared of black bears. They're not really looking to attack humans really at all. No, no, they're not from everything that I've heard. But they will go through your trash. They will definitely go through your trash and rip yeah, that crap up. Yeah, they will take advantage of crap. Yeah, I had a friend who lived in that area and, and had a garage open with like a lot of frig- refrigerators. And, and there was a bear that literally went into the refrigerator and ate food from the garage. Incredible move by that bear. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a number one draft pick bear right there. There it is. All right. Let's dive into it, Nick. Let's talk a little bit about this offensive line. We'll start at the top here. Let's, let's take a over 30. I like to do the 30,000 foot views. I think heading into this season – Heading into training camp, this has to be the most talented offensive line the Giants have had, for my money, since that 2008 season. Now, you could look at some other seasons, 2011. You can look at where things didn't work out as expected. Dave Deal took a step back, things of that nature. And there are other times where they brought in big names in free agency that were supposed to help bring talent to the offensive line. But ultimately, they were more reach-type based uh, you know, plays. There was the kid from, uh, from San Francisco, who I'm forgetting now, the center. The kid we signed... From, from San Francisco a long time ago before Weston Richburg, who was a huge free agent signing, total bust. I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. I used to never 
miss these names and now I miss these names. It's crazy. Um, but someone will help me out. One of our listeners will help me out. This dude was just an absolute bust. My dad hated the pick, the signing at the time. And there, you know, obviously Nate Solder. There's been Omame. There's been a lot of signings that just didn't work out. But this unit comes in with two players selected in the top of the NFL draft in Andrew Thomas and in Evan Neal. It also includes a player signed in free agency in Mark Lewinsky, who I don't think is coming in with a lot of flash. He's not Patrick Omame when they signed him. Like, ooh, the Giants might have, Dave Gettleman might have scout, scouted the community and found a young, talented guy with a lot of size and power and pop. It wasn't Nate Solder. It wasn't, uh, the, uh, now I'm forgetting him, but the guy they signed from San Francisco. Oh, Dave Bass. David Bass. That's who it was. A uh, long time ago, David Bass. That's the was Saturday. David Bass that bad for the Giants? Because I was I was away for yes. that entire part of the David New York Bass Giants. was so hard to watch. I mean, like just based on expectations, he was you signed him to be a really good center at worst, like above average or average, and he was below average his entire career with the Giants. So that just one just didn't work out. But Mark Lewinsky, I think, profiles a little bit differently. There's not much flash. I don't think he's going to be some kind of young upside plays on the older side of his career. But he gets his job done. He's well, he works well on the move, which is going to be a big part of the system. And he comes from a system in Indianapolis where he had a lot of success and they had a lot of success. I think there's a little bit of value to that, Nick. You can talk to this a little bit more. So I'm curious to get your take on this as well because this is kind of just a harebrained theory I have. But I feel like playing in a cohesive unit like that Colts unit was in the run game, I mean, that might have been the most cohesive run blocking unit save for the Shanahan 49ers that just practice it so well and it's like a very specific scheme. And it just works. But save for that, that might have been the most cohesive unit in the NFL in the run game. And I think there's some value to coming from that. I think you learn to play better with, you know, with your teammates. I think you learn to play better on the move and on the fly. What do you think about that coming from the indie system? Will that just help go and see kind of be a shoe in? You know, you're getting above average player. You maybe you're never getting like all star pro level. He doesn't have that upside with the Giants, but you're getting some kind of solid play. The Giants haven't had recently on the interior. I think cohesiveness is a huge part of playing the offensive line. Now, the cohesiveness that he had in Indianapolis is going to be different than the cohesiveness that he can develop and potentially will develop here in New York. So that might not translate, but just to speak to Glowinski's overall skill set, I think he's going to be, I would say, an above average starter here with New York. I love his ability to sustain blocks while moving laterally and climbing to the second level and then locating, taking advantageous angles up in that direction. Those are things that... I noticed when the Giants made this signing, remember, this was a signing that was a three-year deal. It wasn't one of those cheap one-year deals that Max Garcia or John Feliciano received. So this, to me, Mark Lewinsky, he's one of the more interesting characters to look at with the Giants' offensive line because you know Evan Neal and Andrew Thomas are going to be starters. And then it's like, well, those other three positions are kind of up in the air. I don't think Lewinsky's is up in the air. I think Lewinsky is the starter there at right guard unless he either gets injured or colossally just falls apart. When you go through his tape, dude, he was a better run blocker than I believed. I thought he was you know adequate to to average as a as a pass blocker but he's not a liability and he's probably a better pass blocker it was definitely a better pass blocker than Shane Lemieux back in 2020 now Shane Lemieux can build on that obviously but I look at Mark Lewinsky as more of a shoe-in and I think he's going to definitely be a huge upgrade over anything the Giants had at guard last season we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, he's somebody who gives me some hope. The, as I look at this entire offensive line, I think there's room for growth. There's room for upside. There's reason to be excitement excited. But there's also you know reason to believe that it's going to take time. Because like you mentioned, cohesiveness is a huge part of this. And they're adding what? three potentially four new no really four new players to the line like maybe you don't consider Lemieux a new player to the line but he wasn't with the team last year he got some snaps with Andrew Thomas in his first year but that was with a different center and he didn't play at all last season so not only are they learning a new blocking system and I heard Andrew Thomas talk about this recently with John Schmelk on the Giants uh, on the Giants podcast he was saying look we need to get like we can talk all we want about what this blocking scheme is going to look like. He's like, yes, we were doing a little bit more outside zone in the installation. But he's like, you don't re- we're not really going to know until we get to training camp, until we put the pads on, until we start to work. Because as of now, at least, you know, there's no guarantee of what this blocking system is going to look like. It's mostly just installation at this point. So we have to see if they're going to gel together. And he even mentioned that cohesiveness on the offensive line is one of the most important factors. He said that at the top of his interview with Schmelk. And you're looking at a line that's going to have basically four new players operating there, um, with the exception of, I guess, if you don't want to include Lemieux. But Lemieux, again, wasn't there last year. And, and he may not even end up the starting left guard. That's no shoeing lock guarantee. So before we get into position battles, I want to I want to at least ask you, Nick, if you think there could be a learning curve and maybe Giants fans should be a little bit uh, open to the idea of the offensive line, as talented as it may seem now versus how it's been, it may be a little ugly in the beginning of the sta- of the season. Oh, it certainly could be a little ugly. There are some uncertainties on this offensive line with the left guard spot. I mean, the right tackle spot, Evan Neal, I think he's going to be a good football player, but he's still a rookie at the end of the day, and it's going to be going up against very talented veteran type of players on the edge starting from week one on. I think Lewinsky will be fine. And then the center position, we don't really know what the heck is going on there. We think it's going to be John Feliciano, but could Ben Bredesen really develop a la Nick Gates and then just take over the center spot? I don't know, but it's plausible or at least it's possible that that can happen so I do believe it could be a slow start but I still think we always want to measure 
how this offensive line is relative to what it was last year, relative to what we saw last year. And it's still going to be substantially better than anything that we saw last season because the personnel is that much better. They just need to develop that cohesiveness and then just kind of take it from there. I wish there was more practice time for these guys to really gel back in, you know, before that new CBA was signed when they would practice a lot more. They got a lot coaching. They got more efficient. And that's one reason why we see modern offensive line struggles because it's a position that's so predicated on that cohesiveness and it's one unit and it just takes a lot more time to develop that nowadays because you don't have as much practice yeah and i think what's interesting about that is you don't have the time to practice together but at the same time you're trying to learn a brand new system and you're trying to get the install down and i do think that i'm not trying to throw cold water on this stick at all but when you start the season off with the titans who are a really aggressive team that have Landry on the edge, it's going to give trouble. And more importantly, Simmons, who's going to give them Jeffrey Simmons, who's one of the best at this point in my for my for my money, outside of Aaron Donald, the best, if not the best, defensive tackle in the NFLs. The ability to impact the pass on a play-to-play basis. And you're going up against them, and then you go up against one of the most aggressive defensive coordinators in the NFL against the Panthers, and they're going to be relentless. Then the Cowboys, who have really good pass rushers, then the Bears, and then the Packers, who have loaded up that. That's five straight games right there. Against And then the Ravens, who we don't know what that new system is going to look like, but it's probably going to rely a lot on pressure again. So this is going to be a tough slate through those first six games from just a pressure standpoint, from pass protection standpoint. And I think the Giants fans have to understand that this may not – the talent's there. We agree with that. But, again, Evan Neal's a rookie. Sometimes rookies take a long time. doesn't matter where they're drafted. Just look at what happened with Andrew Thomas in rookie season. And that interior offensive line, to me, still has some question marks. It starts with Feliciano at center, who was not, who was, didn't make it through the season last year as a starter. And then it goes to Shane Lemieux, who the only sample size we have of Shane Lemieux, save for a few snaps last season before the injury, is he was one of the worst pass-protecting guards in the NFL. It's not, you know, it's not saying, that's not to say he's going to be that again, Nick, but that's what he was. And, and that's, it's hard to just look at that and be like, ah, well, that's the pass. It's over. He's coming back from the injury, and he's going to be a much better pass-protector. I hope that's the case. I really do. But there's a chance that he struggles out the gate, Feliciano struggles out the gate, and Neal struggles out the gate. And then you still have three three of these players on the offensive line struggling against a really tough uh, schedule slate to start the season. So I want to at least put that out there, that I'm, I'm thinking that there could be a little bit of a grace period before the Giants' offensive line gels, and then maybe the second half of the season we're looking at, like, wow, this is the best offensive line we've seen since that, whatever, 08 season or however far we want to go back. Well, that's the hope in terms of the latter part of what you just said. But Dan, how many, and I, you, you brought this up, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but how many teams around the NFL have one guy who started on their offensive line returning and then none of those other players have played with each other other than maybe you could say Jamil Douglas who might not make the team and John Feliciano? Yeah, you're right. It's, it's the Gi- Again, that's that speaks to the cohesiveness argument, right? The Giants don't have, they're not going to have cohesiveness, at least for this season. They can build on it, right? Like you said, they're not going to gain it through training camp because there's not really enough practice time. There's not enough padded practice time. And it doesn't seem like Brian Dable is going to put them through the Joe Judge slate of training camp, right? Like for better or for worse, I think for better, because ultimately I feel like Judge was kind of throwing stones at some at a system that's broken. Like he does, there's not enough time no matter what. And, and he's putting them through the ringer. And also it's like, all right, there's some things that can help, you know, getting a lot of snaps, but for an offensive line may help, but running laps after practice is not, in my opinion, yeah. going to help an offensive line at all or gel together. You know, it's gonna, it, it'll help your endurance as a team. That's the goal. That's the optimum goal. I guess that's the goal of having your team run laps and do all that type of stuff. But 
as far as the offensive line gelling together, Nick, it's going to have to happen in season, right? Like the training camp, the preseason, that's one thing. But as we even saw the V last preseason, there's not too much to glean from that. It's going to have to happen with time. And that's why I think that you're going to look at this giant schedule. And yeah, it, some people have made the case that, look, they can get off to a nice start here based on the schedule. I think they're really going to hit a groove right around that London game or, or right around maybe the week after the London game with the Ravens, Jaguars, Seahawks, Texans, Lions, part of that schedule. That's when I can start to see this offensive line gel together. And then the offense, you know, build confidence via that. I wonder, and this is an interesting uh, thing for me to posit, I guess, that reality that you just mentioned. And, and I, I don't want to speak for you, Dan, but I believe I can speak for the Big Blue Banter podcast. We don't think these guys are going to run around with their heads cut off. Like, they're going to look like a unit. They're going to look like a team. It's just how great can they be? Will they be playing to their potential early in the season? Probably not because that cohesiveness is not built. But do you think the Giants are looking at that situation? They know they have a starter on the right side that's a rookie in Evan Neal. Do you think they look at someone like a Josh Azudu, who's a talented player, and they're like, do we really want two rookies? to be starting or should we give Shane Lemieux that first crack at it like we've mentioned in past podcasts which I believe will happen allow Shane Lemieux to lose that job or possibly Max Garcia or Ben Bredesen or Jamil Douglas just a veteran who has snaps and NFL experience under his belt rather than throwing the rookie another rookie to the fire I think that's a great point Nick and I think they'll look at it and they'll definitely factor that in because Again, we hear it from the coaches. We hear it from Andrew Thomas. Cohesiveness is king on the offensive line. And you even see it with the continuity rankings. And you listen to guys who break down film on these offensive lines. They talk about how important that continuity is year over year. Giants aren't going to have that. That's okay. But what that could lean into, what they could lean into is what you just mentioned. They're not going to go ahead and put a rookie out there, two rookies out there instead of one. And also, that might also factor in with the whole battle at center, right? Like, They know Feliciano. He knows this system. He's worked with Bobby Johnson, which, by the way, I want to get to in a second because there was another interesting thing that Andrew Thomas mentioned about Bobby Johnson and what they're going to be doing specifically that I want to get your thoughts on. But because of that, maybe they say, look, Bredesen could transition to center and has a little bit more pop, a little bit better movement skills, a little bit more, a a lot more upside than a, than a, than a, you know, Feliciano. Same goes for Garcia. We kind of like what we see in Garcia guard. We really like what the potential is at center. But they may not be willing to play either of those guys early in the season at center over Feliciano because of the things we mentioned. Not cohesiveness, not the veteran, but because Feliciano's played within the system. I heard him speak, too. He was on the podcast. He talked about how big of an edge he has just knowing that system. And this goes into something else, Nick, that I want to get your thoughts on. One thing Andrew Thomas also mentioned in this interview with Schmelk was we're learning different. We're learning a di- almost a completely different thing. Like what he said is. I'll try to paraphrase. What he said is Bobby Johnson wants us to attack. He said it's more of a horizontal, uh, horizontal uh, with his foot with the footwork before the snap, and he wants to. Di- they basically their style on offensive line. Bobby Johnson's style, the Giants' style is going to be attack, force the defensive player to make his move early. So attack, play aggressively in pass protection, and force the defensive player to make to you know not to make but to signify to tip off his move early. And that's going to also be a learning curve for some of these guys, specifically really only Thomas, right? Because, again, Lemieux doesn't have that many snaps with the Garrett system. Feliciano's played within the Bobby Johnson system. Lewinsky's coming from a different system, and Neal's a rookie. So really it's just Thomas in that regard. But they are learning something different there that is going to potentially even be a little bit of a roadblock for a player like Thomas. It could be a roadblock. Just any transition from style 
could be a roadblock. And it's not like Jason Garrett didn't want these guys to attack or want the defensive line to declare. I'm pretty sure it's something that a lot of offenses attempt to do. You want to get the defense to declare so then you can execute your block and allow the running back to make a decision. You don't want the defense to dictate what the running back is going to do and then shed their block and then, you know, fill their run fit or collapse their gap. And then it ends up being like a negative run, which is something that we were have been so accustomed to seeing. But you're right. Any kind of difference in switching from a coach X to coach Y could result in some sort of change. And I think Andrew Thomas is probably the player we're most confident in, right? I would say. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Still a third-year player who has one really good season under his belt. Now he's switching systems. He's switching offensive line coaches. That could have an impact. I still remain very high on Andrew Thomas. I believe his trajectory of development is just ascending and it can continue to ascend because he has a great baseline of length, athletic ability, and his technique significantly improved in the second season. But but to completely rule out a regression would be dumb of us because I think you always have to keep that there. I don't believe it will happen. But it's definitely something that could materialize. Yeah, and it's not. I don't want to say he's going to regress because I don't think. I think he's going to pick it up fast. I think he'll pick up the new system fast, even though it's something different that he's done. And I think he even talked about. It. He's like, look, in my rookie season, the adjustments I had to make, like oversetting on those vertical sets, that was scheme independent, right? It's not something that was because he was learning a new system. It's just something that he wasn't as used to. He, you know, he didn't. <laughs> College defensive ends that he or college edges he matched up against didn't make him pay as much for that when he was at Georgia. And then he gets to the NFL and they made him pay early and often and he had to figure out a way to adjust to it. And so I think he's proven, Nick, that he has a track record of adjusting to things that he that have that have caused him struggles or adjusting things that have bothered him or haven't been perfect for him fast. Like yeah, it took a whole half season for that, maybe, you can argue, but that's a little bit different than kind of learning a new system on the offensive line, especially because he did kind of go through multiple systems throughout his time with the Giants. Like he had multiple offensive line coach from Colombo to Guglielmo. You know, there was different guys. Rob said there's different guys working with these offensive linemen. So I think that part can be picked up. But it was interesting to hear him say, you know, they're doing different things, and the whole style of what Bobby Johnson wants them to do is very different. And I wonder how that's going to work as far as bringing in a, a like you said, four or five new starter, four of five new starters on that offensive line. But let's get to some of these players. Let's start with Andrew Thomas here, a player who we think can ascend in year th- uh, in year three. Yeah, where we at year three with Thomas? Yeah, year three with yeah. Thomas. But also a player who had a noticeable limp at OTAs. Are you at all worried about that injury situation with Thomas, especially because it's something that's kind of bothered him throughout his career uh, multiple times with that with that with that ankle? I'm always a little bit worried whenever I see somebody limping or some sort of lingering injury that a player has been dealing with. But until it starts affecting him in training camp and he starts missing time, I'm not going to overreact or jump off the ship, if if you will. I think with Andrew Thomas, if he if he is healthy here, I do expect the ascension that we mentioned a little bit earlier. I don't know if it's I don't know if you can ascend like he did from year one to year two because the the improvement that he made during that time frame was so just so substantial. I mean, he allowed what two sacks last season and like 22 pressures, I believe. I don't have the stats in front of me. While playing and with league bottom of, bottom of the barrel left guards. 
bottom of the barrel basically everything around him at the moment and he was still technically sound I felt like his hands improved significantly his feet improved significantly and he was still I would say he was a pretty solid run blocker overall in his rookie season and I think he maintained that he didn't take like a huge step forward but his biggest liability in his rookie season was his inability to protect the passer consistently and he was able to really improve that last year so I'm excited about what he can do this year and just in terms of the injury, I mean, yeah, I'm a little worried about it, but I'm going to wait till training camp to see exactly what the heck is going on there. And it looks like, and I'm wondering what this would actually be, and I think we should probably explore this, Dan. If Andrew Thomas is injured or something happens to him, we saw in OTAs and minicamp that Joshua Azudu was the backup there. And Azudu was somebody who was primarily a guard in college, but he also played some tackle as well. And I, I felt like he was better as a guard. But what happens to this offensive line if this injury is a little bit more serious than 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 we believe. Yeah, it's a great question because they're not really prepared for it. I think ultimately they probably want Matt Parrott to play a role in that. Maybe they'd flip over Evan Neal. Maybe they put Matt back, Parrott back at right tackle. I don't think they want to go into the season with Zuhud who has a left tackle. They might even try to look for a veteran at that point. Matt I think Gano. we should. Pro- yeah, Macano will potentially um, play a role there. They have a couple developmental players too that I'm excited about a little bit on the on the offensive line. But let's let's cross that bridge when we have to, I think, Nick, because I think ultimately Thomas is going to be fine. It is a little concerning, but he's what what gives me hope is that he's played through this injury before and had a, and it wasn't his perfect season, but he had a really nice second half in his rookie season, not as good as last season. For me with Thomas, I look at him as a player who's never going to be a flashy left tackle. Like he may never get that all pro recognition, even if he deserves it. But what you said is so true. I mean, he has become such a solid player as a pass protector. And passes, pass protection is king. I don't think he's – I personally don't see him as a dominant run blocker. I think he's good on the down blocks. I think a new system could help him potentially as outside with a little bit more outside zone, a little bit better continuity in the run game, a little bit more uh, you know, getting him on the move could help him. But I'm never. I don't really see him evolving as as any kind of dominant run blocker at this at the NFL level. But I do see him evolving as that surefire pass protector. Like I think some people look at pass protection as the flashiest guys get the most credit, right? But ultimately, you don't need flash. Like there's been guys like Joe Thomas didn't have any flash in his game at all, and he was one of the best pass protectors in the history of the NFL. And I think even a guy like Orlando Brown for the Chiefs, he doesn't really flash as a pass protector, but he just gets the job done. And Thomas is the same way. I feel like his consistency in the pass game is his calling card, and it's what's king. And to me, it should give him recognition as, you know, Pro Bowl, All-Pro type. But I don't know if it ever will. But I feel like one thing I'd love to see from him this year is as that run game evolves, as they try new things in the run game, as they find better continuity, as they have better talent with Neil and Glowinski, Thomas also takes a step forward in the run game. I think that's where he can take his biggest step this year. As a run blocker, yeah. I mean, I, I already feel like he's probably, I would say, a solid, above-average run blocker. It's just I think the potential uh, for Andrew Thomas to to reach his full potential would be him improving that pass blocking, which we saw last season. If you had to choose which one is he better at, if you want to be you know so simplistic like that, I would say he's probably better as a as a pass blocker, at least last year he he was. I think in the first year you would have to say the run blocking. So if he can improve a little bit as a run blocker, maybe he can reach that all pro status. But I, I think you might be onto something. I don't know if he has that type of flair. And that's kind of weird to, to think about the offensive line position in that sort of light. But I kind of get what you're saying when you brought it up before. Yeah, you know, so those guys like you see the, the, the highlight blocks from the Trent Williams types. And those that that's kind of uh... – 
that's kind of what you kind of look into is like, oh, they're going to give these guys the all pro status. So we'll see. But I think Thomas, as long as he can get over that ankle injury, can definitely be somebody who can ultimately be borderline all pro for the Giants for a long time. And that's really great to see. He's really developed so much. You said it best. The year one to year two jump is amazing. Even I think even, you know, though he had that great second half as a rookie, quote unquote, great. I think he took a much bigger step in year two. Like I thought from what I saw on the tape, he was much better in the second year than he was even in that second half of the first year. Yeah, because the quote unquote, the reason I think you put the quotes there was really that Baltimore game and then that Cardinals game. Like those two games and a lot of that came down to just defensive coordinators, Vance Joseph and Don Wink Martindale just out scheme the crap out of the New York Giants offense with Joe Judge and Jason Garrett and a rookie tackle isn't going to really live too well in that kind of world and he had two pretty bad games there but other than that he was pretty solid down the stretch of his rookie season yeah exactly all right let's get to the left guard situation right now Lemieux seems to be getting the first seems like he'll get the first crack at the left guard position there's options though Max Garcia Ben Bredesen though both have practiced a bit at center as well so that's a little tricky we don't kind of know what's going to happen there Jamil Douglas, somebody you mentioned, I'm intrigued just because he's played within the system. He spoke with he spoke with John Schmelk and just talked about how he has a little bit of a leg up too, and he or at least he feels like that because he, you know, he knows the system. That is gonna help. And then obviously Joshua Zudu, who uh, you know, is coming in as a raw rookie and, and I think is going to probably not play the, my guess is that Azudu will not be on the start will not start any games this season. As of right now, that's my guess. We'll see what happens in camp. But that's four guys who could potentially be in the mix for that left guard spot this season. Where are you? Where do you stand there? Uh, or actually, it's five guys if you include Bradison yeah. and Garcia. So where do you stand there? What are you looking forward to at the left guard position? And is there any concern for you that that could be a really a, another weakling position? Because, you know, I see so many of these. I've been watching a lot of film on NFL, different NFL quarterbacks. I see so many of the pocket. So much of the time I see the pocket integrity breaking down on the interior these days. With these with these uh, defensive tackles, who can who can penetrate, who can get up field, and who can disrupt quickly and force the quarterback off platform. And a lot of these quarterbacks just don't throw well off platform. They're panicked. They can't go through their progressions. By the time they reset their face and look up field, everything's off schedule, and there's nothing there. So ultimately, to me, the big thing here is the Giants need to find a way to have good interior pocket integrity this year. No matter who the three guys are there, I feel very good about the edge integrity. I'm worried a little bit about the interior. Where do you stand at left guard? Who are you hoping wins that battle? Who are you expecting to win the battle? I think week one, Shane Lemieux will be the starter. I think he's going to get the first crack at training camp. He'll be team one, like he was in OTAs and minicamp. Ben Bredesen, I think he's going to get cross-trained at center because the Giants are weak there. I think Max Garcia will also get cross-trained at center. And the, the final, the roster spot might come down to Max Garcia versus Ben Bredesen, two guys who can play either guard spot or center. Like Max Garcia, he played center last year, and I felt like his center snaps were probably better than his than his guard snaps. And when you watch the the Rams game, I believe he played guard in that game, the playoff game. It, it was it was really bad. Like he he had a really bad game there, and uh, he was somebody who like he's I think north of thirty right now. He's almost thirty one years old. Max Garcia, I don't think he has a he's a shoot, sure thing for this roster right now. I don't think Jamil Douglas is. I think it's going to be one of those really interesting battles. But in terms of what you asked me, I'm going to say Shane Lemieux. And I'm not going to fully rule out Azudu from starting. I think Azudu can start. I think if he really takes to the coaching and the development, he fits what you described before so well. And so does Glowinski, the horizontal blocking attack. So if there's going to be a lot of stretch zone, if there's going to be a lot of outside zone, and you want 
offensive linemen who are balanced and controlled while on the move and can stay square and are flexible and can really make contact low, explode low to high, drive, have good, really strong hands. I mean, that's Josh Azudu right there, right? Guy has vice grips for hands. The guy is very athletic in space, similar to Mark Lewinsky. So it makes sense that Azudu would eventually start if he can beat someone like Lemieux out. And I, I honestly, I think like when the season goes on and if we have some offensive line woes, Shane Lemieux might be the reason for that. Shane Lemieux or the center, at least the primary reasons, which could open up an opportunity for Azudu to start by maybe midseason. But it also depends on the continuity. If the blocking is all good, you're not going to mess with that, right? You're going to have Shane Lemieux start. So if it is off to a rough start, I think things could get jumbled up, and I think Azudu will be a part of those plans. And that's a great point because I look at Azudu as someone who's raw. I look at someone who might <sighs> – I don't want to say this with any kind of definitive, definitive nature, Nick, but I think he might take a little bit longer to transition to a new blocking system and to the NFL speed. Um, just based on based on outside factors, to be completely honest, I think it could take him a little bit of time. We'll see. We'll learn fast in training camp how fast he can pick things up. But my guess is he's more. They're not viewing him as we're putting. We drafted him that early because we expect him to play year one. I think they view him as somebody who has a ton of upside, really good movement skills. And all of those factors, by the way, could lead to him playing in year one, right? Like, they could just look at it like, well, this guy has the most talent. He can do the things we want to do schematically. Like, he can run our space, our set base of plays that we're going to rely on in the run game. He's going to give us the best chance to get that job done. We have to go through the growing pains. That could be the case. And so I'm open to that idea. But I'm just, I'm thinking early on, based on what you mentioned already, with the rookie playing at right tackle, with somebody who's not a rookie, but essentially a second-year player, Draft in the fifth round playing potentially in Lichine Lemieux, John Feliciano at center, and, and Glowinski at right guard. I feel like they might want to have more of a safer play there. But I am intrigued to hear I, – I did like what you said about Garcia because that almost makes me feel like what we're hearing already about him play, practicing at center. They might just say, look, you're, you're, the, you're the swing center. You're the guy who's playing behind Feliciano, and that's one less guy to worry about in that potential left guard battle. I think it's going to come down again to, yeah, Garcia and Bredesen, who's going to win that center spot, right? And when you look at Bredesen, they have him under contract next season as well, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. Okay, so Garcia is an older player. Bredesen has a little bit more potential. I mean, if you look at it through that lens. So if Bredesen can really develop at center, something that we've seen happen recently, then I think he can ultimately steal that job from Mascarce. But like you said, dude, it, it gets interesting because with John Feliciano, the guy barely played center last season. The guy played guard. I think he had like seven or eight snaps at center, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to pull it up right now. Right. Yeah, at center, he played eight total snaps last year. So it's not even like there's this true, tried and true freaking center on this roster right now with Nick Gates injured. You have John Feliciano, Ben Bredesen, and Max Garcia who can potentially all play center but are have more recent snaps at guard. Now, Max Garcia, he kind of split it last year. So that leads me to like, if the Giants, like you said, want to be a little safer, do you lean towards Max Garcia and say, look, Bredesen, I know you're developing, but we kind of want a more sure thing. Or do you go with the younger guy in hopes that he'll develop and reach a higher potential and then you get rid of Max Garcia who's only on a cheap one-year deal that's expendable? That's a great point, too, because this could just simply be a situation where they're just going to roll out different guys throughout training camp, throughout the preseason, and let the best man. This could be the most true. Uh, I might I might be looking at this now as the most open competition on the roster. Would you say that center's, at this point, the most open competition? 
Ooh, that's a really good that's a really good question. I don't know if it's the most open. I think Feliciano has that leg up for everything that we mentioned before, his experience with Dable's system. Yeah. I don't think it's a certain thing. I think that swing center position gets really interesting though. Especially if it's all the talk of the room well, I don't even know if it's rumors, but all the talk about Ben Bredesen being cross trained at center. If that's really true, then then I think that swing center position definitely will. But at the same time, we know Josh we know the NFL. You want interior offensive linemen and offensive linemen in general who can play multiple positions so you don't have to carry freaking you know 10 offensive linemen into game day you want to carry you know eight or nine so just having guys who are wildly versatile which if you look at this depth chart right here a lot of these guys can play multiple positions i think that's going to be the most advantageous thing for this team but in terms of the most contentious starting position on this roster dude we could probably do a whole podcast on that yeah, I think at least for the offensive line, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring for center. I, I think that could be the one that, especially if Lemieux continues an upward trajectory that it seems like he's on through OTAs, uh, I feel like that one, we, we know that we know three positions are locked in already, right? Goinsky's not going to lose that job. I don't think there's almost any chance he'll lose that job at camp. Thomas not going to lose that job. And Evan Neal's honestly not going to lose a job, which is not always the case with rookies, but typically guys drafted in the top five, that's the case. And I, I think we both kind of feel like Something with Neil, I just don't think he's going to go through a growing. This is my whole thing. I don't really feel that Neil's going to go through a growing pain. I know that's highly optimistic of me. We've already seen it happen with Andrew Thomas. It's not just Thomas, Garrett Bowles. The list goes on and on. These Tristan Wirth hits the ground running types, that's not that common in the NFL. You don't just lock box into that every time. I know Slater did it last year. They, people are starting to see like the recency bias of it. Oh, this it happened with Slater. It happened with Wirth. It's going to happen again. It doesn't always happen. Like things haven't been that great for Jedrick Wills. Things haven't been that great for Kai Becton. It took Andrew Thomas a half a season. So it doesn't always happen, but I do kind of get the feel with Neil it's going to happen. He's got a really good head on his shoulder. And I my whole thing with Neil is I just feel like he has the he has the size, the frame, and the sp- surprisingly good nimble feet to to win early in pass protection as an NFL as, as you transition to the NFL. I'm curious to get your take cuz we've obviously talked about Neil and some of his issues with lunging, with being off balance, though they tend to show up more in the run game. Let's keep that in mind. And that's an area where I'm not sold on him being an immediate impact player. We can get to that if we want. But as far as just the pass protection goes, because that's really all where it starts. And when that's not there, the whole offense is derailed. Do you feel like he can hit the ground running or do you think there could be a little bit of a you know learning period or just like a time of games that goes by where he's actually a liability? I wouldn't say he's going to be a liability. I, I don't think he's going to come out and just be like an all pro, like a Rashawn Slater or anything like that, which is still ridiculous that freaking Rashawn Slater and Micah Parsons were both freaking all pros and the Giants had the opportunity to draft them both. But I, I digress. Evan Neal, I think, will be a, a, solid starter in his first season i think there will be some bumps and bruises here because he plays with a high pad level and tends to have balance issues and if this is a horizontally based rushing attack it's something in college that we saw so that's going to be exploited a little bit in the nfl but i'm he's not going to be a liability i I don't know if if anybody on this offensive line is going to be a liability it's at left guard or center i think left tackle right guard and right tackle it's not going to be perfect there's going to be some reps where you're like oh my god that was terrible oh what was he doing oh what was he thinking oh he missed this twist but at the end of the day i still think they're going to be you know hover around that solid starter range if not in terms of andrew thomas you know really good starter or great starter yeah, and it's interesting because I do think that run game could be an issue for Neil early on because exactly what you mentioned, right? We saw it an issue at times. Now he's going to be in a hard – like, for me, I feel like a more vertical-based run game is probably better for a player like Neil. But 
that may not be the case. We just may not, we just may not have seen it yet on film, and it just may, may be something where he can be a lot better at the NFL level than, or not better, but he can just do things differently at the NFL level that he wasn't asked to do as much of at the collegiate level. And so I still think that's in the realm of possibility for him. Another crazy thing about Evan Neal's tape, like just like going through it when we watched Evan Neal so much pre-draft and then once the Giants drafted him, I did feel like, and I'm not like saying that he's not competitively tough, so please don't mince my words, but there were times where he was so dominant that I felt like he he would let the little intricacies, important interest, intricacies of playing the offensive line, he wouldn't focus so heavily on them like he would allow his pad level to rise and then sometimes he would get you know surprised when josh pascal was able to get underneath him or like these defenders who played with really low leverage and powerful hands in the nfl you're not going to be able to get away with that and i think he's going to know that right off the bat and it's not going to be as i'm hoping that it won't be as big of an issue he just has to focus on keeping that pad level low and playing a little bit more balanced when he's sustaining blocks and moving laterally yeah, that's an interesting point, Nick. I didn't really, and I haven't really considered that as much, you know, is, but I, I wonder, like when you mentioned that, is that something that, because I know he's getting good coaching at Alabama, right? Like, I don't think there's any kind of issue with the coaching there. I think it's not, it's not a situation where it's like, oh, the coaches weren't hammering this down with him. They probably, they probably were. I just feel like, like you said, it probably in the, at the collegiate level, it wasn't so glaring in his game. Like, yeah, there were sometimes, like you said, a few reps, Josh Pascal here, whoever it may be that were getting to him. And, and, and he probably saw it on the tape the next week and was like, all right, this was a problem. But it wasn't probably so often, so frequent that it was something he had to sit down with himself and be like, I have to really focus on every little intricacy, not just relying on my size, not just relying on my frame, my athleticism. And that may be not that may have been the case at the collegiate level, but like you said, I think you're on something. I think once you get to the NFL level, it'll show up fast. Like we learned that with Andrew Thomas. Like the issue he had, it they they saw it, they found it, the opposing defenders, and they exploited it over and over and over and over again. And they kept exploiting it, and they wouldn't stop once they figured it out. So if that's a similar situation with Neil, where they have where they find something that you know he's a little a little intricacy here, he's relying too much on his on you know his natural gifts here it'll show up they'll exploit it and that's where i think he'll be able to make the change because it'll happen more often and more frequently at the nfl level exactly and i don't think it's going to be like a huge issue with evan neal i think evan neal early on you're going to see some bumps and bruises that might you know make you pull your collar a little bit and be like oh geez but at the end of the day i think he's going to be fine i think he's going to be a, a good tackle here in the nfl and the giants they have two top 10 picks invested into their tackle position. I mean, if you would have told me that, you know, after the Giants selected Andrew Thomas, I would have been like, okay, awesome. They're really taking a priority in this offensive line. It's something that we've been sold, you know, time and time again at this point. And now it's actually come to fruition. There's two tackles on this team that are top 10 selections. I mean, that's freaking awesome. And the, I just love the overall depth here too. I mean, there's a lot of depth. There's going to be some solid offensive linemen who aren't going to make this team, I think. Guys who, maybe not solid, but guys who last season, if they were added to the New York Giants, we would have been excited about. Without a doubt. Let's And let's talk about that now because we've talked a little bit about all the starters. I want to talk about the depth now because I'm, yeah, I think this offensive line, the starting five, whoever it may be, will be the most talented group they've had in a long time. But what really has me more sold is that this is the deepest group they've put together for training camp in so long. And we've since we started this podcast, me and you, Nick, we've both been on the same page with a lot of things. But one thing we've been sure about has been the idea that 
you need offensive line competition, you need offensive line depth, and you need to continue to flourish, to continue to replenish that group, no matter how strong you feel about it, no matter how good these guys are. Cowboys are a great example of that. The Eagles are a great example of that. Two teams close to home. They've done such a good job of replenishing that offensive line, no matter how good it looked, no matter how well they've been, no matter how you know, well they graded out or how, like, oh, you have this guy at right tackle. You can't draft another tackle. You can't be looking for another tackle. You have this guy at center. And they do continue to do it. And the Giants, I don't want to say, are following in that exact path because they haven't invested as much resources yet. Some of this depth is not, you know, all the mid-round guys. But they've only really had one year to turn it around, and they really did a good job of finding someone in the third round that they really liked and then finding someone on day three that they really liked in McKeithen. And so I think they're finally starting to turn things around as far as depth and providing competition. And that's what has me excited. We already talked about left guard and center where there's, you know, a rotation of three, four, five, six guys that are going to be competing day in and day out, making each other better. And then even at right guard, you know, you can throw in some of those guys potentially or McKeithen. And then at tackle, that's where things are really interesting to me, Nick. I have a little bit of hope for a guy I'm never going to be able to pronounce, Roy Embiquiti. You know how to pronounce his last name? I'm not even going to give it a try. All right. I won't either. Let's just call him Roy from Nigeria. I don't know, man. I've, I've seen this dude work out. I watched the like a Path to the Draft type show where he had a couple interviews. I think he's got a great head on his shoulders. And, man, does he look like an offensive tackle. He has insane length, insane frame, moves really, really well for his size. Like, you look at him and you look at some of these other guys they've tried out. Bobby Hart, for example, right? Like, you look at a Bobby Hart type and you look and you put it against a guy like Roy Mbikita, I'm just going to call him for now. And I just see such a difference in the upside. One guy looks like with the right coaching, he can play tackle in the NFL. The other guy looks like he's going to have limitations in the pass game, no matter what you do from a coaching standpoint. So... I think the Giants are on something you got to know. You got guys in here who potentially even paired, you know, let's not rule them out entirely yet. You've got a lot more depth than usual all across the line. Oh, absolutely. You got a lot more depth. And guys like Corey Cunningham, who were here last regime, he was somebody who would come in and be like that third offensive tackle when the Giants would literally align. And <laughs> it, it would seem like 17 personnel, which obviously doesn't make any freaking sense at all. But it was just literally like a running back and then just a bunch of offensive linemen. And they still couldn't block anybody. So I think the the battle between Roy, Devery Hamilton, Corey Cunningham – Matt Gano, I think that's probably like that backup tackle spot. Matt Parrott, he's recovering from that ACL. I don't think he's going to be ready. I don't know if he's going to make the final roster. We know who Matt Parrott is at this point. I still think there's potential there with Matt Parrott. But I think Gano is the, is the guy that we have to bring up if we're excited about a possible swing tackle that's not named Joshua Azudu because we've seen a decent amount of snaps when he was in Atlanta of pretty solid play really fluid feet a great athlete someone whose vertical sets are very smooth someone who can kick out and he can horizontally set 90 degree set whatever you want to do he's very smooth and he's very controlled in that manner he's not somebody who's going to be overly commanding at the point of attack in terms of his play strength and moving bodies but if we want an athletic offensive line that you know doesn't have a terrible anchor I don't think Gano has a terrible anchor I think he is somebody who could possibly be that swing tackle behind Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal and that's interesting to me just because they haven't really had they haven't really had anything of certainty there like last year they had Parrot who really struggled and you know there was issues they thought of like uh, is there a dog in him I just can't remember the last time the Giants have had any kind of any kind of consistency or any kind of solid upside even even upside just be a solid swing tackle at that position so that also is good that they've they've added talent there 
And he's somebody else, too, that can play guard. He played guard. It didn't look all that great. I remember a rep against Chris Jones where he he attempted to set horizontally and Chris Jones just used a double swipe and was automatically in Matt Ryan's face. But he can do that. And I think it's also important to note that Jamil Douglas can play center. So will he factor into this? A lot of people write him off, including myself, because he didn't because he didn't play in 2021. He played like a couple snaps or something like that. But in 2020, he played some snaps at center. He played some snaps at left guard. He knows the system. So will that give him a leg up over the likes of a Ben Bredesen or a Max Garcia? I don't know, but it's plausible. Yeah, that's a great point too, especially because just because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of upside there just because he, like you said, he knows the system um, and that will give him a leg up as well. So a lot of depth here on this offensive line for sure. Who's the most, let's go, let's go with this. Who's the the projected backup right now outside of Azudu? Don't include him because that's an obvious answer that you're most excited for. Okay, this is interesting. So there's one name that we haven't even brought up yet. Now, I don't know if I'm most excited about him, but I want to talk about him. So maybe I am the most excited about him. And that is Marcus McKethan, the teammate of Joshua Azudu at UNC, who was the Giants, one of the Giants' fifth round picks this past year. And it's somebody who was just an absolute monster of a man. He doesn't necessarily subscribe to the fleet of foot, but I don't think he's a terrible athlete, especially when, you know, judging his size, he's a pretty damn good athlete. And he can really move bodies off the line of scrimmage. And I'm just interested to, to see if he's going to make you know, the the final roster here, will the Giants risk allowing a fifth-round pick to squeeze by through the practice squad and allow a team to kind of come in and, and scoop him up? Or do they really think Bobby Johnson can develop him? And with this uncertain nature you have and the longevity of the interior offensive line, I think maybe keeping a guy like Marcus McKeithen on the roster, developing him, and then reassessing if you want to give another one- or two-year deal to the likes of some of these veterans who might actually earn snaps in 2022. I think having Marcus McKeithen on the roster makes sense from that standpoint. It's just I don't know what he's going to be able to do in the immediate. And I don't know if the Giants want to risk trying to squeeze him onto the practice squad. So I think McKeithen might be the one that I'm most uh, – or McKethen, the one that I might, might be most excited for, just to see what exactly happens with him. Yeah, I think as – as um, I believe it was who, – who's the Carolina coach? Mac, Mac – uh, why am I forgetting his – Mac Brown? Mac Brown. Mac Brown, yeah, Mac Brown. As as Mac Brown mentioned in an interview I heard uh, he had with Giants.com, he's like, you just don't find offensive linemen with his frame and his size often. He's a very rare athlete. He's a very rare frame. He's a massive human being, and that's a ball of play in its own right. So I'm definitely excited for him. For me, it would be Ben Bredesen because he's a player that both me and you liked coming into that draft, and we still remember evaluating him and being like, this is the type of guy we want in that on that day three. And now that he's starting to transition a little bit to center, that's what has me most excited about Bredesen heading into camp. Because personally, I'm not a Feliciano guy. I think he's a stopgap solution at best. I think there's a reason he wasn't playing down the stretch for the Bills. I think he's undersized for the position. I don't really think he has amazing movement skills. There's nothing about Feliciano that I love. But I think Bredesen's the type of player who, if he transitions to center, that might be where he finds his home at the NFL level. And there's still a lot to like based on what he put on film at the Big Ten level. And especially I just subscribe to the idea that, look, the Ravens liked you, then I kind of like you too. <laughs> i got to be honest because they've done such a good job of locating offensive linemen in those middle rounds. And I still feel like out of that entire group we talked about, and I'll even throw Lemieux in this mix, to be honest with you, Nick. I think Bredesen has the most upside on the interior outside. Obviously, Glowinski, who's going to be the 1-1 there. But out of the rest of that group, I feel like Bredesen has the most upside, assuming Gates isn't healthy, of course. 
Of course, Nick Gates. If Nick Gates was here, I I would feel a little bit more comfortable about the current state Same. of of the offensive line. And I'm excited about Bredesen too. I don't think he is a shoe. And like, if I don't want to do final roster predictions right now because there's still so much that has to play out, and we'll do that before the end of training camp. But some of these guys that we have a little bit of excitement about, they're they're not going to make the final. There's no way the Giants are right. carrying you know 12 offensive linemen <laughs> into, <laughs> into the season. They're going to probably carry, I would say, nine. It probably that's sounds a lot. Little... Not all teams even go that that many. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I'm wondering, it's nine if you want to not risk McKethan going through uh, the practice squad. And then you have guys like Josh Revis, who I don't think will ultimately make the team, but he was an interesting UDFA that they brought in. I just kind of wanted to mention his name because we haven't brought him up quite yet. But some of these veterans that they gave small deals to, Jamil Douglas, Max Garcia, they're probably – one of those guys probably won't make the team. And then Corey Cunningham and Devery Hamilton – they might not make the team. And some of these guys, they, they do have some value here. It's a good problem to have because last season we saw what the opposite of this was. But it just kind of speaks to the overall depth of the offensive line as a whole right now. And the fact that Joe Shane was able to land guys like Mark Lewinsky and even like guys who were not even that excited about like John Feliciano and Max Garcia, it, it's a crafty way to build your offensive line giving basically no money out, no longevity out, but fixing it in the immediate because it needed such a drastic change from whatever the heck we saw in the 2021 season. Yeah, exactly. And they've done a really good job adding depth, a really good job adding high-end talent as well. It's not just depth. You look at a player like Evan Neal, even Mark Lewinsky, he's not the most high-end offensive guard. You're not signing a Joe Tooney, but at the same time, you're getting above-average consistent play. They did a good job of not just adding depth that way, but also via the draft. I mean, Azudu is an upside type of pick, and then you also have McKethan in there. So really good job, I think, in the year one by, by Shane and crew of just adding depth, adding some high-end talent, adding a mixture of depth, high-end talent, and consistency, all to a line that needed all of the above. They needed everything they could get. And so I'm excited about this offensive line going to training camp. I'm really excited to start reading about them, really excited to start hearing about their transition to this new you know style of play under Bobby Johnson, how things are going with their consistency and their continuity. It's the it's the most excited I've been about a Giants offensive line, like I said, since 08. So, and I and think the, that's valid. And the battles, bro, are going to be insane, dude, because these roster spots are valuable. There's no there's no guys who are just going to get roster spots. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. obviously, the Andrew Thomases and the Mark Lewinskys and the Evan Neals are going to earn their keep and everything like that. But these guys on the back end, these guys who are fighting, like even guy like Shane Lemieux, He's not guaranteed to make the roster. I would be willing to, you know, bet a lot of money that he will make the roster, but he's not somebody who has a lot of cred. He's not somebody who's proven a lot being in the NFL, which makes this camp battle just so, so damn exciting. And then you look at who they're going to be going up against during camp, that defense, you think they're going to give anyway with Wink Martindale teaching them? Heck no, man. There's going to be some fights in training camp. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. All right, Nick, anything else on the line before we get out of here? No, I think I'm just uh, just pumped, man. I'm just pumped. And I think what you put out in the beginning of the podcast makes a lot of sense, though, too. We're very excited about this offensive line because what we saw recently has been absolutely terrible. But I don't personally expect this offensive line to go from a bottom five offensive line for consecutive years all the way to a top 10 offensive line. I think if they can get to league average, that is a huge win. Yeah, for sure. And I think they could. I really do believe that, especially in that second half of the season. I think they're going to take a massive jump. All right. That's it for the Big Blue Bander podcast for today. Keep it locked and loaded. We're going to come up with some more position previews heading into camp and then 
going to try to do that Giants all-time draft as well prior to camp. So we'll see what else we can come up with in the meantime. But we're also excited for camp to get going because that's when the real stuff starts to happen, in my mind, at least for this Giants season. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you soon.